prolonged absence, welcome back to the Agora, a podcast by Macropolis. I'm Nick Malkutsis. And I'm Phoebe Fronista. On this episode, we'll be examining how and why the Greek Me Too movement has burst forward, shaking up Greek society and politics. Phoebe has been speaking to women in the arts world, including an actress from a hugely popular Greek drama series, to get their insight on these developments. The TV series rapist, also a powerful man on the show, is actually just about to go on trial, so it's all very timely. But we're also going to broaden the scope of this episode to look at the state of gender equality in Greece in general. And Nick had a talk with an expert to find out what progress has been made and what more needs to be done. But we'll start with the revelations and allegations that have put the spotlight on sexual abuse by Greek men in positions of power. After years of whispers and rumors, it's like a dam has broken and every few days a new allegation comes out. The Greek courts have been inundated with claims, some of which go back decades. We'll try to pick up this story from the beginning, which came when former Olympic sailing champion Sofia Bekatoru said she had been abused during her career as an athlete. Bekatoru was both the first and the most high-profile figure so far to come forward with such accusations, triggering interest from the international media as well as local journalists. One of the foreign correspondents who has been following the story closely is Niki Kitsadonis of the New York Times. When we spoke earlier, I asked her to explain how this process began and why it's been such a landmark moment for Greece. Nick, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, yeah, well, it really did all start out last month when um, the Greek Olympic sailing champion Sofia Bekatoru uh, decided to speak out about her uh, her experience. This was um, back in 1998 during preparations for the Sydney Olympics, and, and basically she accused a senior sailing official, uh, someone she you know saw as a mentor and even father figure, of uh, sexually abusing her back then. So this was really the first such high-profile public accusation in Greece. Uh, she is a household name, respected figure, and it really did um, it really did make an impact. Uh, incidents like this had been sort of whispered about in the past, but were never really talked about publicly. Uh, and although surveys suggest that sexual harassment is rife in Greek workplaces, uh, particularly abuse of women in male-dominated sectors. Um, it's generally been swept under the carpet. I mean, it's essentially been ignored. So it really was just such a prominent figure coming forward with and making this accusation publicly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And she was a name. Um, she was she was a big name. She was a, a, a household name. Someone that people respected. Someone that, that whose name carried carried weight. Obviously, these any any such allegations uh, would be shocking, but. 
in her case, it was um, it was it was a name that that, that I guess sort of most women who uh, had suffered have suffered something like this could could potentially identify with, and um, and obviously it just it was it was uh, uh, it was unprecedented. I mean, uh, Me Too had sort of swept the U.S. and other countries years before. Even there's there's even been talk about Me Too fatigue in many countries. So this this eventually it, it came to Greece, and um, and this was was um, I think um, thanks to thanks to Sofia Bakatura. It's um, and and as we've seen in many of the places you mentioned, it's kind of the, the feeling that this thing was going on, but no one was really coming forward to uh, speak about it publicly. Mm. Which yeah. obviously Sofia Bakatura did a, a very brave decision on her part, and she she came forward with her story. Explain to us a little bit about the the reaction to this in Greece, where you, you know you mentioned that this. Stuff was obviously going on uh, beforehand, and it was all sort of swept under the carpet, kept uh, very quiet. How did you know the political world, the media, society react to her allegations? Well, I think it was um, it was just uh, it just set off a storm. I mean, it was it was really unprecedented, as unprecedented as her as her uh, her initiative had been. So you know, the reaction that followed uh, was was also. Uh, equally, um, uh, equally huge in impact. I mean, her revelations prompted an outpouring, initially an outpouring of support on social media. Um, this included statements by politicians across the spectrum. With Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis was actually among the first to really embrace her her cause uh, very vocally and uh, and call on other victims to speak out. Uh, Greece's first female president, Katerina Sakharopoulou, was uh, subsequently received by Bekatoru um, in a meeting that was obviously very sort of rich in symbolism um, as as Greece's first female president. And uh, she actually spoke surprisingly frankly about the barriers that women have faced in speaking out about such abuse. Um, in fact, she 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 referred to a conspiracy of silence and that she credited Bekatoru with breaking. So um, this again was 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 very um, uh, it was an extremely sort of high profile um, uh, addressing of the issue. Let's let, let's say by a, a very sort of the, the top the top female politician in yeah. Greece, uh, giving this sort of even greater weight in a sense that 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 that, that had been. Um, uh, it had been afforded over the over the weekend of symbolically of the very powerful. Yeah, of these revelations. So then, after this, there then followed a, new, a stream of new accusations and revelations by other athletes who had clearly sort of taken their cue from from Bikatoru. Um And then, obviously, the, the barrage of claims in the in the in the art sector, uh, which is where it really has taken off this 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 Me Too movement. So yeah, it really it really snowballed. Um, and prosecutors are now investigating quite a few of those of these claims. Yeah, and we saw, you know, this rare moment of sort of cross-party unity in Greece, which, uh, um, for those who are not from these parts, it really is something we don't see uh, very often. But that quickly fell apart once the serious and shocking allegations you mentioned were levelled against the national theatres artistic director, Dimitris Lignadis. Tell us, what is Lignadis accused of and why has this case taken on political dimensions? 
Yeah, well, no, that's that's all very true. The, the fact that Lignardis was was a, a director at a state-funded institution obviously put the government in a very uncomfortable position, um, especially as it had scrapped an open competition for that post, the post of artistic director, uh, back in, in 2019, and it appointed Lignardis directly. Um, actually, the culture minister, Lina Mendoni, today took responsibility for appointing him. She actually um, addressed the, that, that criticism um that had been levelled at her by the opposition, uh, the leftist opposition, Syriza, but also, you know, equally hit back at accusations of a cover-up, which was was something that had um, had been dogging the government for the for the past few weeks. Uh, basically, rumours about Lignadis had been swirling for weeks before the government um, basically did anything about it and decided to address them. Initially, he was accused of sexually harassing drama students, uh, and then more serious claims of rape were were levelled against him. Uh, he resigned from the National Theatre on February 6th, claiming that he, you know, he'd been um, the victim of, of toxic rumours. But more and more accusations were made against him in the wake of that resignations, uh, including claims that the rape charges related to minors, uh, to children. Um, so uh, then the outcry on social media and from opposition parties just continued to grow. Um, and when the first of two legal suits of rape relating to minors uh, was lodged with a prosecutor, that's when, you know, the government really couldn't stay silent anymore. Culture Minister Mandoni finally held a press conference. But really, ultimately, this just m- kind of merely underlined the government's panic. I mean, on the one hand, she was underlining the importance of rule of law being observed. On the other hand, you know, she was, she, she described Lignadis as a, as a dangerous man. This in this, in her attempt to distance herself mm-hmm. and the, the PM from him. So yeah, the government didn't handle it very well at all. I think uh, it just, it, it was just basically too close for comfort. And, you know, this really sort of toxic situation has been created with some very dark and uh, serious allegations mm. uh, behind everything. Mm. And if that wasn't enough, fuel was added to the fire by Lignadis' lawyer, mm. uh, dismissing the allegations against his client as having been made by, quote, unquote, professional homosexuals. Right and claiming that the actor is a victim of a conspiracy involving business interests. Now, these inflammatory comments aside, is the Greek judicial system able to handle sex abuse claims with competence, and especially when there are so many of them coming forward? Well, yeah, I mean, well, Ignavis, uh, you know, hired the, the sort of the, the, the celebrity, Greece's celebrity criminal lawyer, Alexis Kouyas, to defend him as, as the accusations against him piled up. Uh, and Kouyas' strategy has been to, to attempt to discredit both victims and witnesses. Um, I mean, he knows very well that essentially it's a, ca- it's a case of their word against that of his client. And uh, providing evidence of sexual assault from years ago, it won't be easy. Um, I mean, some of the alleged offences uh, have expired under Greece's statute of limitations, which is uh, 15 years for rape. But even those that haven't expired uh, are still going to be a challenge uh, to prove. I mean, for sexual harassment, for example, victims have to report the offences within three months of their occurrence if they if they want to seek prosecution. So again, many of the incidents being that have been reported by actors and actresses and others so far, they've already expired. Um, uh, so it's it's more symbolic uh, in 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 these in in these cases, or a case of of, of you know d- discrediting their alleged abusers 
publicly rather than legally mm-hmm. having any impact. Right. Um, there is discussion about changes to the penal code, and Mitsotakis uh, uh, did pledge that there would be some changes, including greater protection for minors. But it appears that these changes aren't going to be sweeping particularly. So the onus really is on prosecutors to move quickly and, um, you know, to prosecute um, cases that within within the uh, the statute of limitations. And Bekatoru and others have underlined the importance of victims coming forward quickly. So uh, perhaps this will embolden victims of more recent abuse to to come forward. Yeah, it will be interesting to see whether these really serious and, and groundbreaking cases founder on what is um, often a huge stumbling block in Greece, which is the the Greek judicial system, the the, the complexity and the mm. strangeness of uh, the the legislation itself, but also the the fact that the justice system is, itself is notoriously overburdened and slow. Yeah. But based on what we've heard so far, Nikki, does it seem that more allegations about other powerful? men and sexual predators are likely to emerge. Is this a story that which you've been covering for the New York Times, obviously, is it one that you think is set to run and run? Yeah, it, it does seem that there's a growing momentum here. Um, I mean, especially in the performing arts, where you know dozens of actors have, have spoken out, um, some publicly, uh, some through their union, and a, 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 a sort of hefty... Um, uh, case file has been has been delivered to prosecutors by the by the Greek Actors Union, so yeah, prosecutors really have their work cut out for them. But um, I mean, apart from the dozens of complaints lodged by actors, there are also claims in the education sector. Um, do- scores of graduates of uh, the capital's prestigious Arsakio School uh, claim to have been abused there by teachers. Um, uh, and by others, by um, by actors as well. Uh, that that comes just a few weeks after claims that a single professor at Thessaloniki's Aristotle University abused uh, dozens of female students there. So, so yeah, I mean these these kind of claims are are, are cropping up uh, everywhere now. It seems um, it would it would it would appear that the media and political spheres are next, and there have been several rumours, particularly about journalists. Um, but my, my sense is that the political sphere will be the real test. Uh, I mean, if abuse victims start speaking out against politicians, uh, that would really shake the power structure. Um, yeah. And it really remains to be seen if, if, if something like that, um, if something like that happens, then it, it, it would really be, um, it would, it would be a huge shock, shock to the system, I think. Um, and as with Bakatoru and, and the actors have spoken out so much, it would take real courage to make that first step. Yeah, we can we can only hope that this is the beginning of, mm. uh, you know, this uh, moment of uh, truth and uh, accountability uh, for uh, Greece. Nikki, thanks very much for explaining what is uh, a, a, an increasingly complex situation. As you mentioned, as day by day, more revelations uh, come to light. And uh, as you highlighted there, it is a story that will run and run in the coming weeks and months. Thanks very much for explaining that to us. No worries. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That was Nikki Kitsandonis, the Athens correspondent for the New York Times, providing us with an outline of how the Greek Me Too movement sprung up 
and how it's all been snowballing over the last few weeks. And as we discussed with Nikki, it's clear that there's much more to come on this issue. And as you said, it's a real test for Greece now in terms of how determined the politicians, judges, media and society in general is to hold people accountable. It's all about using this moment to draw a line in the sand regarding despicable behavior, which has clearly been prevalent in the past. And as you discussed with Nikki, the arts world has been particularly affected by the revelations. It's a world you're very familiar with, Phoebe. Our listeners may not know that you trod the boards in the past. Hmm. What's been going through your mind as this story has unfolded? Well, I can tell you that almost none of these allegations came as a shock to me. So it's it's huge that people are talking out loud about being kicked and hurt on stage or harassed backstage and in the drama schools. So I wanted to find out how people in the arts are feeling now. You know, m- most of them have been out of a job for coming on to a year now. And I think that being out of the audition loop, you know, looking for work three times a year, really affected people's decision to talk. Mm, that's interesting. Um, tell us who you spoke to. So I met up with actress Amalia Cavalli, who stars in the wildly popular Agries Melises TV show that's called Wild Bees, and uh, Caterina Foti, who is a dancer as well as a practicing lawyer. And the two of them are members of a new initiative called Women in Arts, WOMA, and whose goal is to promote equal opportunities in the art sector and to fight against gender discrimination and harassment. I interviewed them together. So the first voice you're going to hear is Amalia's, and then the second voice is Katerina's. Okay, let's hear what they had to say. How did you personally, how did you feel when you first heard Sofia Becaton's story? And, and did you think that the arts would be effective or that it would be as silent as when Me Too came out a couple of years ago? Uh, well, the, first of all, uh, I personally felt, felt empowered that a person uh, came out and uh, declared that this is a reality in her sector. Because we tend to forget, I think I was, um, the United Nations issued a research on the equality index across Europe, and Greece uh, is placed last. <laughs> we scored bottom. Uh, so th- there is no way that we are uh, uh, placed in the bottom line, in the bottom uh, seat uh, among European countries for discrimination against women, and that this is nowhere in our working lives uh, or nowhere in our education. It's it's there, and the worst the worst way we see this is indeed sexual harassment and sexual violence. So we know it's, it's around. Uh, it, it's, it, between us, we knew that we had incidents like this in uh, theatre and in the arts. So after Sofia Becatoru uh, shared her personal experience, we hoped that some of us, some, some women in the arts, might want to share their experience, but might find that they, there is... No one to support them. Yeah. So although we were not prepared, we d- decided to uh, publicize our existence 
just to support people that might want to talk, not to feel alone. Yes. I think that what Sofia Bacador did is that uh, it gave the courage to lots of, lots of women to speak up about what is going on in general. Not exactly. only, I mean, it was like empowerment. So it opened in multiple uh, sectors. Yeah, But yeah. theater was, um, I mean, I really believe that it's one of the worst scenarios that you can find. Because it's also very mixed with, with what we say, like, I'm in the power because I'm the director and you serve my, I don't know, vision. my vision. Yes, but this can be a bit weird because it, it gets to be abusive at the end of the day. So it easily goes abusive to the extent of sexual harassment, not only to the uh, psychological or mental abuse of uh, my colleague and my partner. Whatever. Yeah, and okay. it's also one thing that uh, Katerina is now saying and is uh, correct about the, th the, the art sector is that uh, it's, uh, it, there is a very diff different employment status. Uh, and Greece also is now... Uh, still and coming out of a financial crisis. So uh, uh, people uh, who are working in this sector are very insecure. So it's very difficult during this time to speak up to abusive behaviors uh, towards someone or to someone that is uh, actually giving you a job. Yeah, because it's your survival. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you take a risk for your survival after that. You may be unemployed for years because usually um, the abuser is in a higher position than you, uh, than uh, you are. Uh, that we've seen that people that have been now um, accused mm -hmm. of uh, abusive behaviors are people that were uh, uh, very powerful. So that means that uh, people that were working for them were feeling individually powerless. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the reason to go on with the question that we, I think there is consensus that when we were talking about it, we didn't feel that anyone from theater would actually speak up. Yeah, this that's is true. Because <laughs> we're saying like, we were talking about this for so many years, but no one gets to the end of that. No one goes to press charges. No one goes to, 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 to say it out loud and clearly, but... Eventually, yeah, they did. They did, yeah. <laughs> Some people are saying that maybe it's because that theaters are closed and so many artists are in a desperate situation uh, right now that they are willing to talk. Like, to talk. Just because there are no rehearsals. Yeah, because happening. in history, when you're desperate, you're not, you have nothing to lose. So <laughs> this is when the revolution comes, when you have nothing to lose, but you're changed. It's like, mm. you know, <laughs> it's time to change. You don't have any other option. And also, there were there were no active uh, people were not active. Like yeah. the, I, we were not employed, so there were there wasn't this relationship of uh, power yeah. anymore. It's like the power broke, so people felt that they could talk. Yes, for sure. And I think that because of the COVID nineteen thing, it's like the empowerment of the um, collective procedures came back so when you do it collectively and not by yourself when you go back to your unions and you have someone to protect you and you go back to to 
I mean, organizations maybe like ours or whatever, it's more safe because we came back to this collective thing, which yeah. was a bit out of fashion for some years, I think, in Greece. And, and also, the like what Katerina is now saying is very, uh, it's crystal clear in theatre. Like the actors' union is now stronger than, than ever. Been, I, I believe, like, 20 years? What we know, it's like, yes. <laughs> it's, it's at the strongest point. They, the, actors have now uh, gathered together uh, back to their union. What would you like to say to people? How would you address the fact that people are coming out and suddenly saying, well, why now? Well, if everybody whispered about these people, why are they coming out now? Uh, there is no such question as why now. Because... The problem is that we put it a lot in the um, in the in the crime. Okay, sexual abuse, sexual harassment is a crime, and I agree that it should go through this procedure. But still, it's also the moral the moral uh, perspective of that. So even if it comes only to the union, and you have like uh, yeah, and you have like a sentence that doesn't have to do with you being put in jail, it's also something because it's like a moral justice for the victim. So, I mean, now it's the time because now the circumstances made us stronger and now we know that we're all ready to risk, to talk and to, to support everyone who wants to talk. Yeah. The fact that you're in a show... Uh, a very popular television series that a lot of people are watching and there is a rapist uh, in the show and that somehow it's kind of reflecting because it's a daily show. It's mm -hmm. really like, like even though it's set, you know, in the 60s, it's kind of got its pulse on, on today, on what's happening today. This is, uh, I'm, uh, I'm feeling proud for no reason. <laughs> because I, I I had a I had a talk with the scriptwriter the other day, and she was telling me that it's completely incidental, like uh, she really didn't plan it. Uh, yeah, she had planned it ages ago. There was nothing that would say uh, that this would be that Me Too would be happening. And uh, so yes, I'm in this uh, daily show. I'm just saying this for people that, uh, to understand and. Uh, There is a rapist and um, there is this woman who is um, taking him to court now. And uh, I have friends uh, that are telling me that they are uh, dealing with uh, the news uh, during the night. <laughs> like, it's like, because there, there is at some point, like, for example, why now? Uh There was someone, there was a character uh, in the show that actually asked her, why now? And she responded. So you have a response. So it, it's, there is a weird um, uh, dialogue uh, uh, between reality and uh, a series and fantasy. Uh, and I think this is, um, it, it's um, indicative of the fact that the society was uh, ready for this kind of dialogue because Melina, who's a writer, did not know that this would be, uh, uh, our, um, this would be an actual fact. This mm -hmm. would be making the news uh, today. 
So something made her want to talk about it. And then something made people actually uh, want to share uh, experiences like that as well. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a very uh, weird coincidence, but a happy one. Yeah, no, and it's amazing that it's actually happening like now. now. <laughs> like it wasn't last season. Yeah, it was yeah, this yeah. season. I uh, once I was directing a show and uh, we were touring Greece. And we had to do the light setup. And uh, I was uh, co-directing with a friend of mine, male. Uh, and I was trying to uh, talk <laughs> to the guy who was setting up the lights. And it was clear that I couldn't get through him. Uh, and at some point, like my partner, I mean, my um, co-director was like, Amalia, can I do this? Because it's obvious that this is happening because you're a woman. Uh, like he cannot get directions from you uh, wow. because of your sex. Um, uh, and, but you can get the, the discrimination that women get ranges. That it can be about from thinking, someone thinking that what you're going to say is not smart. So you, you, you don't get to say it. Um, in a discussion, I mean. And it's not only in theatre. Yeah, it's, that's, everywhere. That's, this it's, is everywhere. It's it's everywhere. There's also a, a, a term. It's mansplaining? How do they call yeah. it? Yeah, mansplaining. What I usually do is, like, I get mannish. You, you man up. Yeah, I man up. So, like, it's you, dude, so this is me. And we will talk in this... It's, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be aggressive all the time. I don't like it, but I have to do in order to survive. Have, I mean, and this is an optional question, of course. Uh, have either of you experienced harass sexual harassment or sexual abuse in the workplace? Or, you know, have you witnessed it? Yeah, um, what I can say is that I've witnessed it a lot. I haven't been a, a direct victim of... Uh, no, I mean, um, I've been a victim of um, verbal abuse, of course, uh, but I've witnessed a lot uh, in my field of uh, law as a lawyer because this is a sector that uh, doesn't have even the tools to open the conversation. Most of the women in the field don't even realize that they're, they're getting objectified from their bosses and that they hire them only to carry like the papers behind them in the court and never speak. That's the most traditional sexism example, sex, uh, sexistic example when you go to court. Well, I've had, um, the, the only experience I've had is not really uh, something that can be, uh, it's not criminal in any case, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's painting a good picture of what might happen in Greek theatre. Is I've been uh, when in my first years as an actress. I've been an actress for ten years now. Um, I was uh, auditioning a lot. So in uh, some of the audition auditions, not in one. Uh, by the end of the um, audition process, like in the third audition or in the fourth callback. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be getting messages that were not professional, hmm. uh, that could be uh, termed flirt, flirting behavior, 
which, because Athens is a small city in a way, <laughs> you know, especially for people in the arts industry, uh, you didn't have to experience it in, in an audition. Like, if someone really likes you, they can get your number and uh, you can meet outside your, uh, uh, your job. Uh, so I think, if I'm correct, like during 2011 up until 2014, uh, that was, uh, uh, I would like to say, not common, but mm. it, it was a behavior that you could see in uh, audition processes, that there could be a, a, a gray zone mm. uh, that shouldn't be there. Yeah, because audition is yeah. is is asking is a job interview. Yeah, <laughs> and also because the flirting area and the consent is like this, uh, is like the argument that they say that uh, you will criminalize flirting, mm-hmm. but it's not about it. It's about that if I want to get flirted by you, you would know if you just <laughs> send me messages yeah. due to a um, job interview, which is an audition. Well, it's not flirting. Yeah. It's like harassment. Uh, and it should be, yes, punished in a way. I think, you know, flirting and love and all these, it's, we all want it in our lives. Yeah. Nobody wants to criminalize flirting. Uh, but it shouldn't be difficult to uh, be able to uh, understand that, that you have to have a behavior in your work space and a different behavior for your personal life. Mm, mm. So if uh, someone who is a director wants to flirt with someone who's an actress, they can do it outside their, uh, their workspace. Part of it is a legal question, but the other is that a lot of people will say that making theater is not an office job and that by necessity you have to get up close and personal with your castmates and you know, dig into your feelings and be uncomfortable and all that stuff that mm-hmm. they taught us in drama school. What, w- what would you say to that? Well, okay. No, About uncomfortable, because as a performer, I am very... I have boundaries. I need a, a procedure to open up and find a new thing about me and change and go, what is my nightmare from all my years when I was being educated and working is like the thing that you should crack and you should know. I just want to feel safe so then I can crack. Because if I crack without being safe, I'm like in danger. (laughs) (laughs) Emotionally and potentially physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, A very uh, key word now is uh, consent. Hmm. So, uh, if you have to do, even in education or in or at work, you have to be alert that your partner uh, is giving you consent to do what you do. That it's something that you have both agreed on, yeah, and that you're not forcing your yourself to him here or whatever, uh, and not with even not even with uh, the director's uh, approval. Like it's it's a one-on-one process. Mm. So consent for me is a key word for our, on how we go on from uh, this day. And the other thing I think is that we have uh, to uh, start a dialogue about what is okay and what is not okay uh, in a rehearsal 
uh, on stage, uh, backstage, and in education. Like maybe we have to uh, re-examine our behaviors mm-hmm. and uh, be brave in that, and then set up some rules of uh, uh, good behavior. Yes. Is there a place for like a, a student to go to complain to, or even like say an actress that you know she has some abusive theater manager who like comes in and pees in her sink? Yeah. You yeah. Know, like where do these where do they go? Now, isn't it isn't this amazing <laughs> that we're talking about this? It actually happened. Yeah, Someone was walking there and they were peeing on a sink, uh, like. Uh, this, <laughs> this this is something that if we talk about it now and everyone knows it's wrong <laughs> to do that, you know. And and your answer as society is why now? Because you shouldn't have done it in the first place. <laughs> it shouldn't have. Happened. I mean, it shouldn't have happened anyway. Ah, that's that's another thing that for we're talking now about the director of the National Theatre who is facing uh, criminal charges. It it's very serious his case. But before you reach his case, and he is a person who reached the the peak of Greek theater. Yeah. Before you reach the peak, for someone who faces this kind of criminal charges to reach the peak, this is indicative of how many other behaviors we yeah. put up with. Yeah. You don't just get one guy who is... Uh, uh, sexual harassing children uh, at the peak of the of uh, Greek theater. This means you have put up with all the other behaviors. Exactly, and they've been accepted. And they've yeah, been accepted. Exactly. We're now just not dealing with the, the with the, with everything else because, because we've been uh, stunned. Yeah, it's <laughs> like where, where, how far can it go? It's like. I'm waiting for uh, for uh, tourism and uh, uh, restaurants industry to yeah. come. Oh, yeah. Because I was working in that also. So yeah, I'm working this. <laughs> now. I'm waiting this revolution for that to crack. Yeah, <laughs> I have too many things to say. <laughs> okay, girls. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That was Amalia Cavalli and Caterina Foti explaining to Phoebe how the arts world has been affected by shocking sexual abuse allegations against key figures here in Greece. It's a tidal wave. It certainly is. Um, in terms of getting the bigger picture, I think it's also useful if we look at the state of gender equality in Greece, as it gives us an idea of how dominant men still are in this country. You've been speaking to someone who's an expert on the issue. That's right. I spoke to Dr. Elisi Apkivu from the World Benchmarking Alliance. I suggested to her that despite whatever changes in the last few decades, changes for the better, that is, Greece still gives the impression that it is a very male-dominated country. I asked Ellie if this impression is backed up by research into gender equality and the data it produces. Here's her response.
Yes, hi, Nick, and, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, it is great to be here. Um, yes, Greece, Greece is, is very much a male-dominated country. It's not a matter of, of perception. Uh, it is a country where discrimination against women is pervasive, unfortunately, um, and this is backed up by numbers and research. Um, in Greece, there is, a, there is a strong protection of gender equality by law. But um, unfortunately, there are strong norms that are translated into women being disadvantaged and discriminated against in their everyday life and in the workplace and in positions of power. Uh, I'm sure you are aware of the ranking of the European Institute for Gender Equality, which tracks gender equality in the member states. Greece comes at the bottom of this ranking out of the 28 countries and has been there for the last 10 years. Um, this index looks at a number of elements, for example, participation in work, uh, the possibility to take some time off for personal reasons, going to the doctor or because someone from your family is sick, participation uh, in tertiary education, on the gender pay gap, risk of poverty, unpaid work at home, as women are the main carers for children and grandchildren and elderly. And it also looks at the percentage of women in power positions, such as in ministers, in the parliament, on the board of the largest companies. So Greece has been at the bottom of that ranking since 2010. It has increased its, its score very, very slightly, but that progress is much slower compared to the rest of the European countries. Um, not to mention, of course, that austerity and COVID uh, has made all these things worse for women as they are more likely to lose their jobs, more likely to end up in informal and precarious working conditions. On this ranking that you mentioned, Ellie, can you give us an idea of which are the areas where most progress has been made and where are more efforts required? And the kind of things I'm thinking here, and you alluded to them there, is do young Greek women have adequate access to education? Are Greek businesswomen breaking into boardrooms? Does more of an effort need to be made, for instance, to ensure women are represented in Greece's politics? So, yes, this index indeed looks at a number of issues. And in some of these issues... Uh, Greece fares better than others. Uh, and health and education are the two areas uh, where we don't fare so badly. We don't fare well, but we don't fare so badly. Uh, for example, yes, indeed, Greek women do, do have access to education and knowledge, uh, and they do fare well in terms of health. Uh, now, in terms of uh, Greek women and girls breaking into positions of power, the situation is a little bit worse. Uh, from uh, the data that we have, uh, in 2010, we, women represented only 6% of the boards in the largest Greek companies. Now, 10 years later, they represent 12%. But this is still, of course, way below the 30 or the 40% that we see in other countries. Right. Um, data, for example, by Ecolib, which is a gender data provider, shows that Greece has the lowest number of women on the board compared to Spain, which is 25%, and to Italy, which is 38%. Uh, 
Um, similarly, if we look at the percentage of women in the parliament, we see that there is a slow improvement from 17% in 2010 to 22% in 2020. But again, this is a small change. Mm. Okay, now you ma- you mentioned politics. And after the current Greek Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, was criticised for the lack of women in uh, his first cabinet, he suggested that his party had made efforts to get more women on board but that there was still a shortage of Greek women willing to be politically active. Does this explanation ring true, also based on examples that we've seen from other countries? Okay, unfortunately, I think this is a very poor answer. I I recall that interview on on BBC, and this is a very poor answer to this criticism of, of low female representation in Cabinet. Uh, these are the kinds of arguments that were used by the CEOs of, of large corporations in the UK and in the US 20 years ago when people used to say, you don't have women on the board, and they used to say, we can't find any. We, we don't know where they are. So this is, right. this is just simply not accurate. There are plenty of women willing and able to enter politics, to enter parliament, and to be in positions of power in the Greek government, and to actually even be, uh, you know, appointed uh, to the more traditional sort of hard power uh, ministries like the Ministry of Economy or the Ministry of, uh, you know, Internal Order. So um, a number of countries have shifted from having very few women in the parliament uh, to having 30 and 40 percent women in the parliament within three or four years. It is just a matter Uh, of legislation and of political will. Um, And I have to say here that um, it is no coincidence that there has been no woman prime minister ever in Greece. The the barriers that we have, the cultural and societal barriers, are very strong. So there is a recent legislation in March 2019 which is promising because it does uh, introduce a quota system uh, of minimum of 40% women candidates for, for, for party lists. Uh, but still, we could go further. We could have a quota system for women in parliament. Now, you mentioned that we haven't had a female prime minister and the lack of female ministers, or when women are given cabinet positions, it tends to be uh, you know, the Ministry of Education or the Ministry of Culture. Not that they're not important ministries, but that perhaps it's perceived that those yeah. are the kinds of things that women can look after and that they can't do uh, more uh, 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 rigorous uh, uh, political work. But again, as you say, in the interest of balance and to give the bigger picture, in the wake of the criticism we mentioned about the first uh, cabinet that Kyriakos Mitsotakis named, he did put forward Katerina Sakilaropoulou, a former judge, as Greece's first female president. It's widely accepted that this was a significant nod towards women and gender equality in Greece, albeit a symbolic one because the Greek president has a largely ceremonial role. What I'd like to know, uh, are these kinds of public gestures important in breaking down barriers and changing people's mindset? Uh, Of course, any any similar appointment is welcoming. But if you think about it in a different way, why should we, why this should be an issue? 
why do we have to discuss that we have a, a female president and, and make a big deal about it? Because of the lack of, of gender equality and, and gender uh, and women in, in power positions. And yes, of course, it was, it was a good gesture. It is symbolic, um, but uh, it is not enough. And although um, it does uh, alter a little bit the, the mindset or the public perception, I think we need much more. Um, the Greek society remains patriarchal and most Greek women today and men uh, feel that their responsibility for of, of breadwinning and of provision for the family stays with the men. So the, the women work le- less, they earn less, they take care of the family and the household while the men go out and bring back, uh, you know, the, the salary. Um, and I think in order to break the norms in, in people's perceptions, we need more role models publicly. So we need advertisements with, with fathers holding babies. We need gender-neutral advertisements overall, uh, having a man advertising cleaning products. Um, and I believe, again, the recent legislation is a good step towards that. Um, we need public male figures that do not project a sort of macho, strong uh, image or female figures that embrace their femininity publicly. I'm sure you recall the, the Argentina MP uh, a few years back where she breast her, fed her baby in parliament, mm-hmm. or um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, uh, Jacinta Ardern, who took her infant to the UN General Assembly. We need these kind of images for people to understand that family is not something to be hidden. It's not a problem. It's not an obstacle for you to to develop your career and advance. It is something that uh, we should embrace as a society, both men and women. So I do think we need these kind of images. Okay, Ellie, uh, to round it off, um, it's clear from what you say that some steps forward have uh, been made, both in in practical and symbolic uh, ways and that the numbers do suggest an improvement in terms of gender equality, but it's also very clear that there is still a long way to to go. So if we can end on a practical note, if you were uh, asked to propose a handful of policies, two or three, for instance, that would foster greater gender equality in Greece, what kind of things would you propose? Um, I would definitely... Uh, follow the example of other sort of European countries in publishing the gender pay gap annually at various levels of organizations and companies, uh, just like France and Iceland have, uh, requesting the companies to outline clear steps on how to reduce it and by when. Uh, I would definitely propose the 40% quota for uh, the, the party list to be extended for women in parliament. Um we can uh, extend paternity leave and encourage and even make compulsory the uptake of paternity leave by men. You know, Japan has a similar a problem. Point, yeah. They mm-hmm. offer a great, really lengthy paternity leave. I believe it's one or two years. And and the norms, the society, uh, the society's sort of perceptions are so strong that the men just don't take it. So you can make it compulsory. And and I think most importantly overall, and this is the case in many areas um, in Greece, it's not the legal and policy framework that suffers, it's implementation. So maternity is protected by law. 
It's just that these laws are not implemented uniformly and there is still a lot of discrimination based on pregnancy, based on family responsibilities. So many women find themselves, exactly as you mentioned earlier, going to the university, getting all the qualifications, entering the job market on an equal level with their male um, uh, you know, friends from college, and then reaching the age where they become mothers and suddenly their, their career um, just goes pear-shaped. They are um, not promoted, they are being sidelined. So we need to strengthen that mechanism to be able to report these behaviours and uh, correct them uh, without having, without women having to go, to undergo a, a lengthy legal process. We need to implement the framework that already exists in a better way and promote the men, the role of the men as, as fathers more in the society. Well, Ellie, I think there's some great suggestions there and, and, and uh, straightforward suggestions as well, uh, uh, things that any government could uh, adopt and implement, and uh, let's hope we see some of them. Thank you very much for joining us on the Agora and for giving us this bigger picture on gender issues in Greece. Thank you very much for having me. That was gender expert Dr. Elis Yapkidou speaking to Nick about the state of gender equality in Greece. And that's about it for this podcast. We've covered some very serious and troubling issues, and I hope that we've provided listeners with a better understanding of where things stand. It's an evolving situation, but let's hope a start has been made in getting all this out in the open so we can root out unacceptable criminal behavior and move on as a society, and as a country. Yes, hopefully this is the beginning of uh, catharsis. There's a very good Greek word for you, Phoebe. I feel it. The catharsis is coming. So, so we're done here. But before we go, remember, you can listen to previous episodes on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find out more about Macropolis at our website. The address is www.macropolis.gr. And as Phoebe likes to say, that's Macropolis with a C. And we'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.